Hey friends, thanks for listening to the By His Grace podcast. I am your host, Misty Phillip, empowering you to live by God's grace. And I don't shy away from difficult conversations, but I do try to infuse those conversations with grace. Today, I sat down with the president of Summit Ministries, Dr. Jeff Myers, to discuss cancel culture, forness, and take challenging social media conversations offline to try to come to an understanding with the that we don't agree with. We both share thoughts on the Will Smith incident that happened at Oscars when we discussed that we were both contributors to articles on Fox News. So I hope you enjoy this bonus episode about cancel culture today. If you like what you hear, I'd love to hear from you because drop me a review at Podchaser or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. Jeff Myers, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. Hi, Misty. It's great to be on your show again. Yeah. So I thought I would bring you back to talk about cancel culture. And so let's just dive right in. You know, how would you define cancel culture? I'll, I'll give a little bit of the history of it. Cancel culture started when people realized large corporations would be responsive to their audience if if people, for example, signed a petition, I don't like the product that you made or something, and I can take my business elsewhere, which is a very free market kind of orientation and could be positive. But very quickly, Misty, in the age of social media, people began to turn those same tools on individuals. And I know that you're going to reference an article that I, an interview I did with Belief Net, which I really felt like I, I was able to state as well as I could, how I view the whole issue of cancel culture. Uh, but I shared the story a little bit of one of my colleagues at Summit Ministries, one of our instructors who was a professor at the University of North Carolina and the tragic situation that surrounded him. We can talk about that if, if time permits. But what happened with cancel culture is people began to believe that by making someone go away, erasing their social media footprint, you can punish them for things that they say with which which you disagree. And because it, it's so easy to make that happen in the social media world, it actually created a tremendous amount of personal harm. And it's individuals now, not just large corporations that are being held to account, but it's not so much accountability as it's a form of punishment. It's a way that people can use their power to bully others. Yeah. And there's no room there for grace or forgiveness or, you know, mistakes, because sometimes we respond in ways that, you know, we, we do regret or wish that we could have taken back. And, you know, I think you even talked about this recently with the event that happened with Will Smith at the Oscars. Uh, what would you have to say about that? It was an a really instructive moment. And we're trying to deal with this in a couple of ways. How do you talk to your kids about this? And there probably isn't 
a lot that you can talk about there. Most kids don't need to know about it. If they are asking questions, parents can talk with them about what's the appropriate response in a situation like this. But now the larger issue is, is it enough to say, I'm sorry, that, you know, and then make make it seem as if this never happened. Well, that's not really a biblical approach. And and forgiveness isn't really that way either. When you think about it, you can't just say, well, I forgive you and then make erase the event from your memory. It doesn't work like that. And from a Christian tradition, that's, that's why we have a repentance and forgiveness that takes place all of the time, right? Every day we say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that were wrong and the things that I left undone that I should have done, that you walk in that, not as a way of producing constant shame, but as a way of producing constant mindfulness. Yes, we, we make mistakes and we do things that we may regret later. The question is whether we just do we, what do we do with that in our culture? Do we shame people to the point where they have to go away and be quiet and we ruin their reputation? Or do we use that as an opportunity to say, I really don't like the way you handled that. And I want to talk with you personally about it so that we can both be better people. And, and unfortunately, in the age of social media, that personal approach often gets pushed to the side. Yeah. I actually had a chance to weigh in on the Will Smith issue as well in in regards to a, a response as a parent on Fox yesterday as well. And what I said is that children need to know that we are accountable for our words and for our actions, because I think that we need to be accountable for the things that we say and the things that we do. Um, but I think it can be taken um, too far with the cancel culture, not giving someone the opportunity to take that accountability. And we just, you know, try to make them go away for something that they said or did that we don't agree with. And, you know, that to me you know, I think that we should have free speech and I think that we should be able to, um, to say things in, in a way that are honoring. Right. But sometimes in, um, sometimes in our culture, this is not always an opportunity. So what do you, what do you, yeah. what do you say about oh, that? Oh, I, I think that's right. Well, the, if the goal is to have a more virtuous public society, and I think that should always be one of our goals. This question, why should I be good, is one we have to answer. Should I should I be good just because I'm afraid of getting slapped down? Or should I be good because I personally have the opportunity to raise the level of civic discourse? And virtue is means to inspire good moral qualities in others. Forcing people off the internet, trying to ruin reputations and so forth does not accomplish that. But Misty, part of it is just social media. And you're you're very involved with social media. So you've you've seen this happen over and over again, where people would say things on someone's Facebook page or in a tweet that they would never say if they were together with that person face to face. It's almost as if we feel that somehow our power has been removed from us to the point where we can lash out in a really angry, offensive way. And it's okay, as long as it gets attention. And Facebook and Twitter as platforms, to, to mention two of the most egregious offenders, have developed their algorithms to promote this. It, when you get on Facebook, it's, it's as if Facebook says, 
what are you mad about? You're mad about that? Well, if, you, if you're mad about that, you should be really mad about this. Let's give you another article. And it just, it creates this sense of anger that people have. This may be another interesting topic to talk about. We, we've, at Summit Ministries, we started to do a lot of polling. We're not a polling company, but we do want to understand the cultural moment. So we've just started throwing questions into the McLaughlin monthly polls of Americans. And it's fascinating to discover that the number of people who believe that canceling and cutting people out of your life and so forth is the best way to respond to conflict is very small. It's only about five to 8% of the population thinking that that's a good way to handle conflict. And yet, because of the way social media platforms are set up, that five to 8% pretty much gets to control the narrative for the rest of us. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I think we see that with with a lot of issues where a minority's voice is much louder than the silent majority. So why do you think that this cancel culture is dangerous? Well, it's dangerous, first of all, because it doesn't allow for an opportunity for people to grow. And I think it's fine if someone says, you took a position on this. I disagree with you for reasons one, two, and three. And I hope that you'll reconsider your viewpoint, give people the opportunity to grow. But I think what becomes dangerous is when it when people say, I disagree with you, and I don't even need to explain why. I can just get a petition with 30,000 people to say that you're evil and get all your corporate sponsorships canceled or what, you know, what get all your advertisers off or, or, you know, it's just, it's, it's all of that kind of stuff that you, you just I kind of picture people in their mom's basement, you know, who have nothing to do other than just to try to create trouble. And so I think that's, that's bad for public discourse, but second of all, it's bad for individuals. It shows the next generation that you don't have to learn how to resolve conflicts with other people. You, you can just, uh, you can just cancel them. You can bully them online. Uh, When I was a kid, I moved to a new town probably within two weeks. I got in my first fight (laughs) with a kid and I realized he's he he fought me. I fought him. We were pretty evenly matched, and it it just it it kind of went back to the old epic stories of old, where like, oh, you're a tough guy. Let's be friends, and we were friends from that point forward. And, and you think, where are the opportunities today? To and I'm not saying fist fighting is the way to handle it. You know, we were in fifth grade, but but where's the opportunity to to resolve? conflicts and to move forward in relationship. And I think the third thing is it does damage free speech. Now, obviously, one person's speech against another person is not necessarily what the First Amendment is about. It's about government not doing things that restrict free speech. But when it happens in social media, those platforms are propped up by the government. And you can make an argument that they must provide free speech if they're going to receive protection from the government, which they do against any kind of a liability. So uh, I think those are the big issues that come to my mind. Yeah. So just, just to make you feel a little bit better, my husband says this all the time that the, the people that come and drop the bombs on social media, he said, if they were the bully on the playground, they would have had to meet face to face. And so he kind of uses that example all the time because, um, you know, people just will throw comments and they, they don't actually have to face anybody. They can be a keyboard warrior. So I love the way that, that you addressed that. And, um, 
want to ask another question. So what would Jesus say about cancel culture or, or what does the Bible have to teach us about what can we learn from the Bible about cancel culture? Uh, the Bible's teaching on this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> it, uh, Jesus said that we're to, there are two things that we're responsible to do. We love God and we love our neighbor. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, our love for neighbor flows out of our love for God. If we don't love our neighbor, Jesus is saying, it shows that we really don't love God as much as we say we do. Ouch. That's super uncomfortable. Yeah. And then Jesus went even further and said, you know, everybody loves their friends. There's nothing virtuous about loving your friends. It's when you love your enemies, these people you can't stand, that you wish had never come into your life. It's when you learn to love them. And, and, and the disciples were like, okay, that's fine. So how much should you love them, right? They're all about, you know, the measurement of it. How much should you love them? Should you forgive them seven times? And Jesus said, not seven times, 70 times seven, which is a figure representing infinity. In other words, you always walk in forgiveness of your enemies, at every moment of every day, you walk in forgiveness, saying, I forgive you, and this is over, let's pretend like it never happened, is not realistic. We all have to live in the grace of repentance and forgiveness at all moments during our lives. Yeah, that is a lot easier to say than it is to do sometimes. But by the grace of God and by His grace, we are able to to love and to forgive. And yeah, I think that, you know, it's not always as easy to do, but it is what we are called to do. I've got, I want to tell you a quick story. One of my students, his name was Noah. I learn a lot from my students. I've been a teacher for a long time. And my job is I, I head up Summit Ministries. So I, I work with tens of thousands of young people every year to help them develop leadership skills, develop a biblical worldview. And some of them move into situations where they have the opportunity to put into practice the things that we teach even more than I do. And one of them, name was Noah. He went to an Ivy League school. He rose to the point to the place where he got to be the president of the student body. And he was asked as the president of the student body to give an address to the incoming freshman. Well, he mentioned something about his faith in God and about how, uh, you know, this we're in an Ivy League school, but that does not mean that we're good people. Uh, you know, there are people from this school, one who became a communist spy, one who became a murderer. He said it is the example of Jesus that drives us forward. And he gave a specific illustration of that. Well, you would have thought that he had dropped a nuclear bomb on the entire campus. People were so angry that he dared mention Jesus in the speech as the student body president. So people came after him. Well, in those days, they came after him in the student newspaper, writing editorials against the student body president. You know what Noah did? He reached out to every single one of his critics and said, can I take you to coffee and hear what you think? I don't want to try to convince you or preach to you. I just want to hear what you think. I admired Noah so much as a leader for doing that. That took an extraordinary amount of time in, in an environment that's already fraught with tension and where there's a tremendous amount of academic work to do, plus being student body president. But to him, it was worth it. 
And he's become a successful executive uh, in his life since then. He's one of those kinds of people that the individuals trust because they know that he'll be fair, that he'll listen. That And so there is, a, there is an opportunity with some of the conflicts that we face to, to try to take them off of the impersonal social media channel and, and make them more personal. Albert Moravian and I, I'm sorry to filibuster here. No, this is great. Albert, this is this is this is fantastic because I think that's the thing that's missing in the marketplace of ideas. We used to be able to share our ideas and and come to uh, you know an understanding, even if we don't agree with a position. And that's the thing that we are missing. So, uh, as you were saying, back in my years as a professor, I taught MBA students. So my students were already in leadership. I think the average student had already 10 to 50 people in their department, you know, when they were already in their late 20s that they were responsible for. Uh, so there was no theory in this class. And either, you know, they, if they couldn't imagine it working, they would just say in class, I don't I think that's crazy. I don't, that doesn't work, you know. So but and when we when I spent time with the students, our our, our goal in communication was make it as personal as you can, given the constraints. So uh, we went back to Albert Morabian, a psychologist from the 1960s. He said that 55% of our communication is through our posture and facial expressions. 38% is through our tone of voice. 7% is through our words. This is why if you're having an argument with someone, doing it through text messaging is the worst possible thing you can do yes. because you're allowing, you're, you're allowing the, 7% of the communication to represent 100%. In other words, the other person's fill, having to fill in 93% of the information. And if they're mad at you, they're going to fill it in in a negative way. That's right. If you can talk on the phone, that's better. If you can meet in person, that is better. So I would train the students, look, when you have a conflict and you try to deal with it through email, that's helpful to get your thoughts down on the page, but that's not the best way to handle it usually you can pick up the phone and more quickly and more personally solve the problem than by just sending emails back and forth. So try, in any given situation, try to do the most personal thing. And I felt like that's a good rule of thumb. And I, listen, it's hard to do there. Our company, some ministries is, you know, it's, it's not a huge company, but I have 60 employees and there are a lot of things going on, but as much as possible, I will have time to sit down at coffee with employees. How are you doing? Do you love your job? If not, what can I do to help you love it? Are there things that in my, in your communication with me that you find yourself frustrated by that I can work on? Because it's not that I can solve all of those issues, but I just want them to know this is, I don't want to have this at arm's length. This is personal. We're both here to grow. That's that's so great. And I think that if we could approach social media more in that way, it, we would be so much better off. I have a friend who is a brand consultant. So she's always examining, you know, how people represent themselves online. And she said, sometimes we need to just journal the things that we are thinking and then go back and analyze them. Is this, you know, I, I always use, uh, is, is this lovely? Is it true? Is it of good? 
good report. You know, those are the things that we are to think on. And sometimes our responses to people, we have a knee jerk reaction, especially if we don't have that full context, like you were saying, if we just have the words, we can fill in our own narrative as to what we think they were saying. But if we can go back to that teaching of what is lovely, what is good, what is a good report, those are the things we should think on. Those are the things that we should be saying and responding to. That's so good. We don't have to respond to every single thing. I I like the journaling idea, because if I'm thinking about saying something snarky that I think people will think is funny or interesting, but it's at the expense of someone else, I can write that down. Or I can say to, you know, to my wife, Stephanie, hey, this is what I would say if I were going to write something, but I'm not going to because I'm not interested in flaming the issue. I just wanted somebody to know that I had something clever to say. Uh, You don't have to put online everything that you think. You don't have to respond to every single thing. There are some issues where you realize this person's not inviting a dialogue. They're just getting something off of their chest. So they got it off of their chest. I acknowledge that they did, but we can move on. We don't have to turn this into World War III. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I think that is a great place to, to end. We do not have to respond to everything that we see online. And, you know, it's if we do come to a disagreement with somebody, reach out to them and try to meet with them offline. I think that is great wisdom, Jeff. So thank you so much for coming on by his grace and sharing some thoughts today on cancel culture. Thanks, Misty. It's great to be with you. I always enjoy these conversations. Yes. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me today on By His Grace. I hope you've enjoyed listening and are encouraged by our guest today. I would love for you to visit my blog, mistyphilip.com, for more encouragement. You can find me on social media as Misty Phillip, and I would love to connect with you there. 